Good morning. Good to see you. We're going to get started with our Sunday morning Bible study this morning. Next week, the lesson will be from John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. John 12, 44 through 50. If someone, uh, if you'd like to read ahead and in preparation for that, probably just read the whole chapter of uh, chapter 12 of John. Be pretty well ready for that. Today we're going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at specific verses 46 through 54, but um, we'll jump back and forth uh, between part, other parts of chapter 4 as well. Epidemics and uh, pandemics are often associated with uh, centuries past. Uh, when we think about um, in previous centuries, what are some of the, the big pandemics that you remember or that you've learned about in history? What's that? Okay, the Spanish flu. That was, a, that was the one that keeps coming up here recently. What else? Polio, yes, there's a, a big outbreak, a polio outbreak that affected much of the world. What else? Malaria. Malaria, yeah, still areas of, uh, the, of Asia that deal with malaria very severely. Um, cholera is another big one that still plagues a lot of countries. Um, what else? There's another one. Smallpox. Smallpox, yeah. Yeah, there's a, several places that dealt with that around the turn of the century. Uh, if we go back further than that, we have the Black Plague, the, the Bubonic Plague. There's uh, many historic uh, pandemics and epidemics, plagues, that um, I, I think in some, in some way uh, helps us if, if we, we think about the, the history of those things. It, it, helps to remind us that regardless of the medical advances, uh, the, regardless of the science that we have, uh, even the sanitation that we have in this country, there's still the possibility that there's something that is, more, that is stronger, that is able to, to affect human life, um, something that we just we can't overcome medically. Since the end of the 19th century, the world has faced numerous health crises, uh, pandemics and epidemics are still a harsh reality uh, in much of the world. These illnesses serve as harsh reminders for the prevalence of sickness. And ultimately, what does it serve to remind us of? That eventually, every single one of us is going to, to die. And there's not going to be anything we can do about it, scientifically, medically, we, have, we need to be ready for that day. The complete healing of all physical illness will not be achieved on the earth, no matter the extent of modern medicine. And in today's scripture, Jesus provides a, a sign to something that's much greater than physical healing. And ultimately, that's what we need to focus on because this, this body is not obviously not going to be here forever. There's a there's two things that they say are certain, death and taxes. <laughs> Those two things are going to be with you no matter what. So you need to be ready to deal with it. Uh, 
In uh, today's scripture, we're going to, to look into some of these ideas of, of how, it's a, how Jesus provides spiritual healing and eternal healing. John's gospel is divided into four major sections. There's an introduction in chapter 1, then the uh, following of Jesus' earthly ministry uh, from chapter 2 through chapter 11, and then the Passion Week, what we refer to as the Passion Week. Uh, he, John covers a lot of the specific events during that week, probably more than any other gospel writer. He's, he dedicates chapters 12 through 20 just on that week and the events surrounding that week. And then there's events that happen after the, uh, the, the resurrection, uh, chapters 21 through 25. So that's kind of the, an outline of the, of the book. Today's scripture text comes from that second section during Jesus' ministry. And this section tells us of his earthly ministry through uh, seven miraculous works. Uh, also, John tends to focus on Christ's miracles, uh, un unlike some of the other writers who, who may focus more on specific things that he does. John really hones in on his uh, miraculous ability. And uh, they're presented together to uh, show us the nature of Jesus' ministry and to prove that he is the Messiah, that he is God's chosen one. And this lesson text comes as Jesus returns to Galilee, the region of his first public miracle. And where, where was his first, at least the first one we have recorded anyway? The first, where was his first public miracle and, and what was it? Okay, it was in Cana, Galilee. Okay, so he turned water into wine. Uh, did, he, did he turn water into wine like we think of? Okay, yes, it was grape juice. And uh, they, they brought out what they, what they referred to as the new wine or the, the fresh juice, which, have, which would have been just grape juice. So there are those who... We try to make that argument, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Why can't we drink? No, that's not what he did. And uh, he, he wouldn't have uh, changed it into something that was fermented or tainted. It would have been perfect juice. And, and also the, the word that's used and how it's used uh, signifies to us that it was grape juice that he, uh, he turned the water into. But uh, that miraculous uh, account uh, was in Galilee, and now he's going to be traveling from, he's been in Jerusalem, where he overturned the tables, he upset the, uh, the, the temple, uh, and he was there for the Passover with the disciples, and then he ends up coming back to Galilee, and that's where our text is going to pick up. The, the text does not give insight for how long he stayed in Jerusalem, uh, realizing the Pharisees were noticing his popularity, Jesus returned to Galilee through Samaria. And he has a, a two-day stop in Samaria. And what happens there? When he, when he comes, he's on his way back to Galilee. And what, what happens when he's in Samaria? Who does he meet? Yes, a Samaritan woman at the well. And there's an interesting account that happens there, and he's able to, he, he reads her, basically tells her her life story. She goes back into the city, tells everyone, they believe 
what she said, and then they believe Jesus' words, and then they end up uh, believing who he is. And uh, says that many believed because of his words. So Jesus ends up coming back to Galilee, and um, we're going to pick up in verse 46 of John chapter 4. It says, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into, scratch through and put in your Bible, grape juice. So John's inclusion in his gospel account of this uh, Galilean community was not by chance because Jesus' uh, most, most of his public ministry happened um, around this area and, and also began in this area. Uh, he even, uh, the, the, there was a specific town that actually served as kind of his home base where he would go back uh, frequently. And what, what was that city? Anybody remember? Starts with a C. Go back, C A P. <laughs> Anyone? No? Okay. Capernaum. And he'd go back there regularly and then uh, continue on his ministry. Um, while attending a wedding banquet in Cana, Jesus miraculously turned the jars of water into grape juice after the banquet ran dry. John referred to this event as the first signs or the first of many miracles. To come. Uh, continuing verse 46, it says, And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, we're not told who this royal official is, and, and we don't know who he worked for specifically, um, but more than likely he was in service to a regional ruler of that area, and it would have been uh, for the area Herod, Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod was the tetrarch or the administrator of this area of Galilee. And this certain official could have served Herod in a variety of administrative and political or military ways. The only other identifying marker that we have of him is that his ailing son was not in Cana with his father. So this, this father evidently had, had heard about Christ and what he had done, knew that he was coming uh, coming their way, found out somehow, and ended up meeting Jesus and his disciples at Cana. Cana is on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, about, um, uh, about 16 miles or so north. Uh, this town... Um, was another one that Jesus went to frequently, as far as we know from Scripture, as well as Capernaum. Verse 47 said, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and to heal his son, who was close to death. So he knew Jesus was on his way. He meets him there. He's obviously heard of what Jesus was able to do, the miracles that that he has performed, and at this point, he's, he has no other choice. His son's basically on his deathbed, and the father doesn't know what else to do. Um, and since Jesus had returned to Galilee, the time had come for him to go and to act on this and, and to uh, ask Christ to come and to heal his son. 
So he finds Jesus. Uh, John's narrative does not provide further detail as to what the boy's sickness is. Whatever it was, it was advanced to where his son was close to death, we're told. Uh, Some medical knowledge existed in the first century. Uh, Physicians worked to heal people of specific disease. Um, we even have in um, Paul, Paul writing to Timothy, what does Paul tell Timothy to do if he has some sort of sickness? Anyone remember? He tells him, don't take a little bit of wine. Uh, they did use wine, slightly fermented wine that was a little bit alcoholic, uh, was a way to treat bacteria and to treat specific sickness because uh, that's all they had to, to do uh, back then. So there, there were certain things. They used er- a lot of herbs, herbal remedies, uh, but nothing, obviously, like what we have today. So this man had probably exhausted all of those efforts, and now he needed help from the, the great healer. However, many people uh, in the first century still lived with incurable ailments, As Jesus' earthly ministry grew, he frequently approached these types of people and provided physical healing, especially for those who were born with some specific uh, struggle, whether it was being lame or blind or or deaf. It seems like he would go to those individuals and make a point to heal them. And sometimes these people even sought the help of a physician. Turn over to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and verse 26. Uh, Actually, we'll start uh, the second half of of verse 24. We have a a brief encounter here with a a woman who was suffering for a long time. And it says, uh, Mark 5, 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering And at once Christ realized that the power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So here's someone who obviously had sought out the help of many physicians, uh, has exhausted all of her resources, and now she, she has no other choice but to go to the great physician to help heal her. And that's the similar circumstances that, that this man is in, whose son is on his deathbed. Uh, being a, a royal official, he probably had a lot of financial means to, to go and seek out a lot of help, but no earthly doctor could help him. Now, do we have circumstances today 
that, that sometimes we find ourselves in or, or, or loved ones. And medicine just doesn't have an answer. There's really no, no final cure for anything. And who is it that we go to? Yeah, and we, we need to make sure that, that, that he's the, the primary source of our healing, physical and spiritual. Because he's the one that can, uh, and through his providence today, even heal and heal completely. Verse 48 says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, this is an interesting response because um, it's almost as though Jesus is rebuking the, this official. But, um, and and is, is it possible that he knew this guy's heart and mind? Yeah. And, and maybe initially he came thinking this, that, oh, the, he's, he's going to provide a, a miracle for my son. Uh, or another possibility is that Jesus said this as a teaching moment uh, to those who were in the crowd. But he responds to this official's request for healing in an unexpected manner. And instead of addressing the sick child, he questioned the spiritual status of the official's countrymen. And he used this man as an example to, to say, you need to believe what I say, not simply just believe because I'm able to work miracles. This is the more important thing, and this is a, a point that we need to, uh, to bring out and, and to think about when we study Scripture, especially the miracles, is that the, the miracle wasn't done just for the purpose of working the miracle. What, why was the miracle done? Ultimately. Yeah. Yes, to back up his word and to back up the fact that what he said was from God, that he was who he said, because one day was going to come. Jesus knew one day would come when miracles would no longer be on the earth. The, the disciple, the apostles knew that a day would come when those things would cease. And uh, today, many still seek after signs and wonders. And Jesus himself said, you wicked and adulterous people seek after a sign. So we have to be careful that, that we don't seek after signs and wonders and, and expect God to do miraculous things. He can and he does. And we probably have all experienced circumstances where we've, we've known someone uh, or, or maybe even yourself, you've, you've had some sort of sickness and you just don't think you're going to get over it. And we've, I've known people with very advanced cancer and then through prayer and through some medical advances. And, and usually uh, they have to just chalk it up to prayer because the doctors sometimes can't even understand how they overcame certain things. Um, we've known people that have overcome great sickness through prayer, because God's still able, through His providence, to work miracles and to be God. But in the sense of Christ performing a miracle or, or men being able to have that power to perform miracles, that does not exist anymore on the earth. Because the purpose of the miracles, the signs and the wonders, was to point to the Word of God so that people would believe in who Jesus Christ was. And so is the case here. 
They were you people who required miraculous acts from Jesus. The official came seeking help, but Jesus responded to his request with particular criticism. Because many of the Jewish, uh, many of the Jews demanded that he produce signs and wonders to justify who he was. And through these signs, some people came to believe and to follow him, but some still didn't. Some, even after they saw all these miraculous things that Jesus did, they still rejected him and didn't believe in him. But the ultimate goal of these signs was belief in the Messiah and belief in the life that he provides. Uh, look at John chapter 20. Can someone read this for us? John 20, verse 31. And then uh, we get John 20, verse 31. Okay, Vivian. And then so can someone uh, look up John 12, verse 37? Okay, Nathaniel. All right, go ahead and read John 20, verse 31. Okay, so the, these signs and these wonders that were written down in John's gospel were there ultimately, why? According to that verse. So that they would believe that he said who he was. And there's a reason why, and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, this in, as we get into the lesson. There's a reason why specific accounts are written in the gospel because if you remember um, back at the end of the book of John, what does he say? John 21, the last verse. Many other things were done, didn't, doesn't he? Many other things as well were done by Jesus. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So there were a lot more things that happened than what we have recorded. I mean, we read these and we were amazed. But volumes of books could be written and uh, still would not hold all of the miraculous things that Christ did. So there's a reason why these specific ones are pointed out and why we have them. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, why these, these two accounts we have in this chapter, in chapter 4, are so important. So the, the ultimate goal was that they would have belief in the Messiah. But how, not, not all people accepted Christ's miracles. And this reflected their stubbornness and the hardness of their hearts. Time and again, Jesus' claims were backed by his actions, a sign of who he is. And despite this reality, many people still refused to listen to him. Uh, John 12, verse 37. All right. Today, we have the truth. We have his truth. We have written eyewitness, I think Lindsay said, eyewitness documentation of all of these signs and miracles and wonders. Uh, we, we still see God uh, work in the lives of, of people to help heal disease. But many still do not believe. And why is it? Why didn't people believe after they saw these signs and wonders? Why, why do people still 
not believe today. It's not because there isn't ample evidence, because there's plenty in God's Word. Yeah. Um, yeah, be pretty hard to set up Lazarus. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, there, there are people that may try to make that claim. There were some who thought the disciples took Jesus' body away and stole his body, right? Um, yeah. I think people have a false belief on what you don't know can't hurt you. Okay, yeah. And if it's all true, mm-hmm. they're all big trouble. Yeah. Yeah, because it really comes down to pride, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if we recognize that Jesus is who he is, then, then we have to recognize him as Lord. And when we say you're Lord, then that means we've got to do what he says. So that, that idea of submission and, and overcoming our own desires in life, that, that really is what's at the core. Uh, because there's plenty of evidence to prove that he was who he said he was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, that is a big struggle for a lot of people, you know, answering that question. Um, and that, that particular questioning of who God is really comes down to a, a very poor theology about who God is, uh, what he's done for man. And um, I think many times people that, that believe that way think that, that God's just a, an old miser or some big ogre in the sky you know, that created man and just left him, you know, to suffer and left him to his own devices. But is that the God that's revealed in the scripture? Not at all. In fact, he's the complete opposite. He's willing to give up his own son. And how many, how many would, how many of us would willingly give up our child to save another? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's, ho- sometimes it's hoping in the wrong thing. You know, they hope in the physical, and, and uh, they're, all their hope is wrapped up in, I'm gonna get, I want to get better physically. Um, yeah, and then that, that takes away the idea that this life is just a mist. It's just, just a vapor. It's very short. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so there, there's many reasons why people still do not believe, but um, can't come, we can't uh, say that it's not because we don't have plenty of evidence of Christ being who he said he was. 
because he proved it over and over and over. Um, unfortunately, not all are going to listen to his word. Jesus used this particular interaction with the official to critique the lack of faith in the Galileans. Rather than receive the gift of Jesus, they demanded signs, and it would be easy to read Jesus' words as an angry indictment toward his countrymen. However, it is possible that Jesus spoke this as a lament regarding their spiritual blindness. He came to his own people, yet they did not receive him. That's John 1, verse 11. Not only was Jesus frustrated, but he was also grieved by their lack of faith. And while Jesus knows each person's heart, the official's level of faith at this point is unknown. Uh, did, Je did his heart question Jesus' claims? Or was he like the Apostle Thomas who needed a tangible reason to have authentic faith? While uh, driving through a small town in Ohio, I noticed a street sign that read Tom, Dick, and Harry Road. The sign commemorated an infamous local trio, and because of the sign's novelty or originality, I imagine many people tried to steal it as a keepsake. In my travels, I've seen other amusing, eye-catching signs. A local tire store advertised free air. Isn't air always free? <laughs> Well, don't tell the Democrats. <clears throat> I, I thought air was always free, he said. A souvenir shop in Turkey proudly sells authentic fake watches. A chain of mortuaries in upstate New York is named Am I Gone Funeral Home? <laughs> a sign on a flower shop in Ohio bears the name of its owners, Swindler and Sons count your change when you leave. <laughs> Jesus's miraculous acts were not meant for the amusement and amazement of the gathered crowds. Instead, these acts serve as signs and as proof to God's eternal truth in Christ Jesus. The miraculous signs presented in the gospel accounts confirm his identity as the Messiah. We simply need to open our hearts and our minds and soften our heart to see Jesus' work in our life. Verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. So he resorts now to, to begging. He's, Jesus, please, my, my son's about to die. Please come. Um, what's interesting about this statement? He said, please come. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And that, that's a, it's a very important key in this whole account because it reveals to us a little bit about uh, the man's sentiment towards Christ, what he thinks about Jesus' ability and what he can do, who he is. Um, and uh, he, he waits one till the, the very final stages of things. Um, oftentimes we, we witness that ourselves, where maybe we wait until things get really bad before we seek God's counsel. Um, we see this a lot of times at funerals. We go to a funeral and what do people say? 
What do people say at, at funerals when they have no hope? Yeah. What's that? Okay, they do. Well, with regard to, to God and God's abilities and, and, and the state of... Yeah. Okay, that's a big one. They assume that somebody's going to be in heaven. So people like to play God after somebody's dead, don't they? They don't like to listen to God while they're still alive. What else? Yeah. Okay, he's in a better place. Okay. One, one big one that, that you hear often is, why did God do this? Why did God take my loved one? Why did God do this to me? God's not the one to blame. And how many who blame him after the fact actually sought him before it happened. And sought him way before things got serious. And so this, uh, this man, he, he waits until things get really bad. And he also says, sir, come down before my child dies. What does that assume? By Come down to my place. He's assuming that Jesus has to be there physically in order to perform this healing. If we think back to Old Testament times, and this man might not have, may or may not have had uh, much uh, education in the Old Testament scriptures, but from a Jewish perspective, think back, what did, what did the prophets have to do in order to heal somebody? What did, what did the apostles have to do in order to heal somebody? They had to be there physically, yeah. And we think back, they had to physically be there in their presence, touch them. Uh, even um, with Paul, I think somebody took his handkerchief, didn't they? And took it back and it was something that he touched. It had to, had to be some tangible connection. Well, what's different about this situation? No. Now this, this account is one of those, this miracle is one of those that we should just, it should just completely blow our mind. Because the amount of, the, the power uh, over creation, the, the power over, over life and death that, that Jesus displayed in this miracle is overwhelming. Because he didn't have to be there physically. All he had to do was say, your son, your son will be healed. And the man puts two and two together when he goes back. And we're going to read how he figures out it happened exactly at the time of day when Jesus said, be healed, that his son ended up being healed. Yeah. It's interesting, the difference between this father and the, um, was it a centurion who said, you don't have to come. I know you don't have to. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, very good. Yes, we have another account yeah, that, that has similar similarities to it. So this official begged Jesus to see the urgency of the situation. Here was a father dealing with the worst tragedy that a parent could experience. His son's about to die. The official had no sharp uh, response to Jesus' declaration uh, on the nature of signs and wonders. Instead, the man wanted the healing for his son. Verse 50 says, The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Um, 
Uh, go, and first it says, Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word, and he departed. So instead of accompanying the official to Capernaum, Jesus told him to go on his way home, return to the child. And it was un unlike ancient Israel's prophets, Jesus is the Son of God, the one who is with God the Father, and he has the power of life in and of himself. And therefore, he only merely had to speak the word for the official son to live. He inserts this question here, how, how should we respond when God's timing does not align with our expectations? How do we respond when God's timing or, or his way doesn't align with our expectations? Okay, we definitely need to remain faithful regardless. What else? Yeah. We have to submit to his will because he yeah. knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. This, what did, this official went there wanting Jesus to come to him. And we don't see him responding back and saying, why, why can't you come? You, how much money do you need? How, can I write a big enough check? Can I? You know, that, that's what many think today that God's going to listen and do, do things their way simply because they want it done a certain way when really we need to submit to God's way of doing things because uh, His timing and His way are perfect and um, we need to, to always trust uh, that He has the right answers for things. So the man takes Jesus at His word and he departs, which shows his, his faith. He believed in Christ's validity and his ability to perform this healing, even at a distance. And because of his belief and trust, the official departed and returned to Capernaum. And this moment provides a critical contrast in John's gospel. Whereas the, the crowds looked for a sign in order to believe Jesus, this official trusted Christ without even seeing or knowing the results of his word. He showed genuine faith in Jesus without the confirmation of an immediate sign. Let's turn, look at chapter 4 here briefly, uh, a little bit further up in uh, verse 39. Uh, we have this account of the woman at the well. And uh, after she goes into the city and tells the people, and many believe, um, it says, in, starting in verse 39 of chapter 4, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony or because of her word. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So why, why is our text in this gospel and why is the account of the woman at the well in this gospel and not some other miraculous account? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. We don't have to see miracles and, and signs to be able to believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
So ultimately, what this proves is that it's through the preaching and teaching of God's Word that people are going to come to faith in Him, true, real faith, and trust in Him, and they're going to be saved. And uh, these two accounts are in, this script, in the Scriptures to prove that to us, that it's not the signs, it's not the wonders that are going to save people, ultimately. It's the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. And in this sense, this is why in John 20, verse 29, John writes, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. By believing the Word of Jesus, the official's response provided an example for the kind of faith necessary for disciples of Jesus. Uh, we know we read elsewhere, Romans 10, 17. What's that passage say? familiar one? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or by the word of Christ. Yep. Verse 51, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. The official's journey on the way from Cana to his home in Capernaum would have been a literal walk downhill. Capernaum is located on the Sea of Galilee, therefore at a lower elevation than Cana. Most people traveled on foot uh, because of the terrain um, between those two villages, and it could have taken most of the day uh, for him to do this. And we can only imagine what this man's emotional and physical state was like. Uh, what, what would you be like? You've gone to seek out healing. You want this miracle worker that you know to be able to do these sorts of things, to come back with you, uh, to give you reassurance. And he says, well, your son's going to be healed. Go. Go on your way. Go back home. What's this guy thinking the whole time? What would, what would we be thinking? The whole time we're going, would you, would you just be leisurely strolling back home? <laughs> no. I'd be running I want to know as soon as possible. Like any father, his only concern was to see his son healthy. And surely he went to great lengths in order to get home and rush home to see his son. But before he reached home, he heard the good news. His servants were so amazed at the change in the boy that they met him on his way. And likely the servants had known the reason for and the destination of his journey and therefore, they could anticipate the direction and the route by which he would return. And knowing that the father would be anxious, they bring him relief by going out and telling him that his son was living. Verse 52, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And so at this point, John provides a critical detail that the exact time that Jesus declared your son will live was exactly when the change took place. And at that point, when Jesus declared it, the child experienced healing from his illness and his fever left him. And it didn't require that Christ was there physically. Verse 53 says, Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. So another circumstance where they believed based on Christ's word. 
Issues of timing aren't just related to some uh, performance uh, or uh, professional ability. Professional athletes would require exact timing for peak performance. Uh, if you watch a football game, uh, you observe the perfect timing required for a place kick. Without the perfect timing, photographers will um, snap unbecoming and awkward photos. I'm sure you know the importance of perfect timing in your daily activities. So even when Jesus' timing is different from ours, he is always perfect. And following Jesus' timing might prove challenging. He may act when you least expect it. And are you willing to adapt your ways to his timing? What obstacles stand in the way of you following his perfect timing? We'll end with verse 54. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So it ended up being a miraculous ability, uh, but it proved his word, proved who he said he was. And ultimately, that's what we need to get out of these miracles, is that his physical healings testify to his ability to provide spiritual healing, which is the most important thing for each and every one of us. Now, only by faith can we become disciples of Jesus and experience that complete and final spiritual healing that he brings. Even when Jesus feels far away, does our life reflect our belief that he's never too far away to provide healing in this life or in the life to come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for this reminder of how powerful and important your word is. May we learn it. May we know it. Have the ability to communicate your word to others especially with regard to the gospel and how men need to be saved. Thank you for Jesus, for his work on this earth, but also for his presence with you in heaven and, and that he has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. And that we can count on you no matter what. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.